It's great to see you. Luke may have mentioned earlier that uh, we have a great children's ministry, and this may be a good Sunday to use that uh, if you have a child with you today. We started a new series. We are starting this Sunday called Redacted, and we're talking about truth that we just can't say anymore, truth that nobody wants to hear, it's, uh, that, that we can't say anymore. And today, specifically, what we're talking about, and who knew this would be such a big topic, we're talking about gender, all right, gender. And we're separating gender away from sexuality, which we'll be talking about next Sunday. So it's gender today, and, and here, here's why. In 2007, America had one pediatric gender clinic. Today, there are hundreds of them across the United States. Today, testosterone is readily available to adolescents from places like Planned Parenthood, and often on a first visit and without any kind of documentation or a therapist's note or anything else. In the state of Washington today, a 13-year-old can begin gender-affirming therapy without their parents' consent. In the state of Oregon today, a 15-year-old can get top surgery, which is an elective double mastectomy, without their parents' consent. These things are happening all over the United States. Here in our area, in a local school district, one of the boys that go here, goes to Grace here went to kindergarten screening, and part of that screening was the question that said, are you a boy or are you a girl? And uh, that's, you know, happening right here, and all this stuff is kind of creeping in. It, it's interesting, but his response was, well, that's a silly question, and it is a silly question if you think about it. But you might wonder, you know, well, where does that conversation go if they don't answer that way? And uh, how do we get to this point? Well, this is the reason that we need to talk about this gender issue in church. It's because this is a biblical issue, and it impacts people in our community and in our church family. So today, what I want us to learn is what we need to know to help people think through gender and to help people who are struggling with gender confusion. And the way we want to start with that, of course, is with biblical truth. And that first truth is simply this, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you are of great worth to God. God loves you. Uh, Genesis 1.26, this is where the Bible starts out, Regarding creation, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here's God talking about creating man in the generic sense, mankind, and, uh, and that we're created in God's image. That means we have this incredible worth to God, all of us, all people. And we see that in other places in Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 139, it says this in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. 
And then later in the same chapter, verse 13, for you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All this is talking about how we have been created in God's image at His pinnacle of creation, and that we are valued by God. Now, we know value is something that can can adjust. Actually, a lot of people would say, well, it's what we've been learning from the, the housing market lately, right? That value is what somebody is willing to pay, right? So, you know, today you can put a house on the market for $100,000, and maybe that's the list price because the bank's not going to lend any more on that. But it's not uncommon today that somebody might offer you $115,000 for your house, even though you only listed it as $100,000. That's true value in the moment, you know. What something is worth equals what somebody's willing to pay. Now, when it comes to all of us as human beings, no matter who you are, no matter how you're wired up, God has put on you incredible worth, and we know that because He has paid an incredible price for you. Jesus died for you. An infinite cost, an infinite value has been placed on us because God paid an infinite cost for us. So, but Scripture's telling us we're created male and female. After Genesis 1.26, Genesis 1.27, the next verse says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, now he's using man in the generic sense, which used to be very common. There's, you know, people don't like that today. But God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is just to say humans are created male and female. Specifically, humans are created male or female. We know from this that male and female are complementary, that they are equal. That's the reason that uh, nations that were founded by predominantly Christian people have always had more rights for women because they've always acknowledged this from God, that God says men and women are equal. But also we notice from this that embodied in creation are sexual differences that are a part somehow of what it means to be created in God's image. And by the way, those differences are pronounced by God as good. That's the Old Testament. That's creation. Genesis 1 and 2 are the most foundational places for, for a gender. But we need to also understand that later in the New Testament that Jesus Christ affirmed that male-female binary. Now, that shows up in a few different places in the New Testament. One place is Matthew 19, and we can look at Matthew 19 chapter beginning… Matthew 19, beginning verse 4, it says, And he answered and said, this is Jesus talking, Have you not read that he who created them from from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is foundational stuff from Genesis 1 and 2 that is quoted by Jesus Christ. And it's not rocket science. For all of human history, when a baby was born, people huddled around until somebody would identify the child and then make the announcement, it's a girl or it's a boy. And, and then people would celebrate. You know, they weren't um, maliciously assigning a gender to the child. They were joyfully announcing the child's biological gender is what was happening. But Scripture deals more than just creation and the physical part of gender. Uh, It's more than biology. Whenever the Bible talks about crossing gender boundaries, it always speaks negatively. For example, presenting oneself, presenting yourself as the opposite sex that you are biologically, the Bible says is wrong. Uh, One example of that is Deuteronomy 22.5, where it says, a woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. This is, that was given during the law that Moses received on the mountain, and this was specifically, you know, for this new nation that just came out of slavery for them to start their country, and this was, the cross-dressing was a prohibition. But one thing we need to remember as we think through this debate is that we need to be careful that we don't get too caught up in American male stereotypes. For example, you know, if somebody doesn't like hunting or camping, that doesn't make them less male, right? If somebody doesn't like football, or if they do like Michigan football, that doesn't mean (laughs) that they're less male in any way. That's just a preference. That's a stereotype. We don't want to go too far with the stereotypes. Remember, in Scripture, we're, we're reminded of this. Remember the brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Esau was the hunter. He went out and did the man's man stuff. But Jacob, he was more of a guy to hang around in the tents and, and do more domestic stuff. But by the way, who, who did God choose? Actually, God chose Jacob for his line to go through. And not just somebody like Jacob, but somebody like David, who, who we all identify as a warrior. Well, remember David, he played the harp. David wrote a lot of poetry. He also took on a huge warrior and cut the guy's head off. But, you know, we don't want to get too caught up in stereotypes as Scripture would caution us not to do. Scripture, by the way, teaches the exact same thing that science teaches us and biology teaches us, and that is there are two genders. But here's the deal. People who God loves, there are people whom God loves who experience gender confusion, and there are different reasons for this. Often, it's because somebody is, is seeking sort of a, a in gender change or gender and expression, it, that phenomenon is an expression of people not liking themselves for whatever reason. 
because this gender sort of gets to the core of our identity. And this identity, by the way, is the language that the trans community prefers to use. What typically happens is kids that are raised in stable environments, they start out when they're young, they they sort of get their identity from their parents. And then as they grow up, they develop their own identity from that. If they're believers, if if their parents are Christians, we hope that our kids not only grow up that way and develop their own identity, but they move on to get their identity from Christ, which is what God is teaching us in the New Testament. So the question is, why are so many kids confused and hurting in this issue of gender confusion today? Why are so so many kids confused? So psychological studies has shown us some of the reasons. Again, this is stuff that you don't usually hear. For example, One of the main factors is when children experience traumatic events in their life. Like one example of a traumatic event might be a molestation. Well, that that hurts kids, and that sometimes triggers some of this. Two, uh, lack of parental connection leads to kids feeling isolated or alone or unloved. Three, the general breakdown of the family all of a sudden, genders not, are not modeled for families, and that creates a less stable environment for kids. That's been documented over and over and over, but a lot of people don't want to talk about that. A lot of our media doesn't want to go there, because that's especially true in large cities where families have broken down much more than the general population. And, and by the way, there are a lot of popular organizations today who are just flat out anti-nuclear family. You know, about a year ago, I talked about Black Lives Matter, and that's an organization that a year ago, right on the first page of their website, one of their bullet points is that they did not like and worked against the nuclear family. They, 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 They thought that was a wrong social construct. You know, I still have that quote if you're interested, but, you know, it's and, and not, but there's also trans activists would say the same thing. It's not just about trans, it's also about a pushback against uh, what we would call your typical family, a father, mother, and children kind of a family. So here, here's the thing, if you're hurting, here's what I want you to hear. If you're struggling with this, here's what I want you to hear. First of all, God is against what he says is wrong, which we call sin. God is against sin, but God is for you. God loves you. But please hear this correctly, because we get this confused in in our younger generations. God's love for us does not mean that he affirms every decision we make. What God is saying, He loves us, and so He tells us what's best for us and what's right and wrong, but He doesn't affirm in us doing the wrong thing. You see, God is love, but God is also truth, and that's what's missing in our culture today is the truth part. 
As a matter of fact, here at Grace, I have a saying, you, you may have heard this before, but if you're a leader at Grace, if you're on staff at Grace and you lead people, what I always say is, here's what you have to love first, lead second, but always do both. You've got to love first, and we interact with people in love. We care about them. We love them. But secondly, you have to lead. That means you have to tell people the truth. Love first, lead second, and always do both. As a leader here at Grace and our staff, you don't have the option to do one without the other. You don't have the option of just going slamming everybody with the Bible and not giving a rip about them. And you don't have the option of going around just loving everybody no matter what they're doing and affirming everything they do. Does that make sense? Love first, lead second, always do both. One of my favorite sayings in the staff room. But anyway, we really love when we love people enough to point them to truth. Real love is helping people. People need truth. So we point them to that truth. So what's gone wrong? So that's God's God's perspective, he loves us all. He's made us male and female. Well, what's gone wrong from that? Well, here, it's simple because it's true of all of us. In every area of our lives, we as human beings tend to twist God's plan. Let me put this in personal terms. So me, Kevin Pinkerton, or I, Kevin Pinkerton, became a believer when I was an older child. I look back on my life and how I was raised and, you know, my environment and all that, and I know this, because not everybody in my family were believers. So I can look back and I know that if I hadn't become a believer and started learning some of God's truth, I would have ruined most of the areas in my life. I think I have a great life, but I'm just telling you, I don't think I would have a great life if I wasn't some of those times when I were making decisions trying to do it more God's way. Without God's influence in my life, I would have ruined all these good things in my life that God has given me. Does that make sense? And, and I think that's probably true of a lot of you. How many of you would say, yeah, I get that, Kevin, I'm with you, same for me? Yeah, that's a common experience we have as believers. Now, all God's boundaries, you know, boundaries are God says, don't do that. And we always see that as a negative. But all God's boundaries are for our benefit. And that's true for gender identity. God is teaching us something for our benefit. And, and this is a difficult topic. I was really sweating last service. I mean, this is a difficult topic because it's so politically charged. It's really difficult because we're trying to help people, but I, I don't know if people are get beyond what I've already just said. But here's the thing. In Western, it, here's the political part of it. In Western cultures, all of a sudden, everybody's accepting that people can change genders, but we don't accept that people can change races. You know, if I were to alter my skin and start altering some characteristics so that I could identify as another race, people would not accept that. And a lot of the people who would not accept that are the same people who want us to accept them changing their gen genders. You know, that's sort of the, to help 
people to see kind of both sides of this. You know, they, they would demand to be accepted as another gender. Well, and, and before we get into all, all this, I really need to cover some, some terms, some gender terms. Again, splitting this out from sexuality. And by the way, these gender terms are uh, controlled by the trans community, and so, and sometimes they change to reflect their preferences. But here's the terms that we have. And so, a little bit of a disclaimer, I'm trying the best I can, you know, so through this talk, I may get a couple of things not quite right, but I'm actually trying to show respect. You know, I think I'm using all the right terms, but just give me a little grace if you can. Hang in there. First of all, trans male. I think we think, and I'm going to try to cover these quicker than I did last time. Trans male. We think trans male. We think that's a male who's transitioning, but it's not. A trans male is a biological female who's transitioning in male. And you can see, well, that's the trans community, how they would want to use it, because they want to get the word female out there for a biological male. So a trans male is a biological female transitioning to male. And a trans female is a biological male transitioning to female. Uh, some people identify as gender neutral. That's not identifying with any gender at all. Then we have this term called non-binary, and some people identify that way. That means different things to the trans community. To some, it means identifying as both male and female. To some, it means identifying as neither male or female. And to some in the trans community, they say gender as a continuum. So you have male, female, and it's just a sliding scope. It's just anywhere in there. So they use that differently, but that's non-binary. Cisgender, how many of you heard that? Cisgender, that's a term that actually is what the trans community would use for most of us, meaning that you identify the same gender as your biological sex. They, the trans community calls that cisgender. Then there's gender fluidity. That's that people can change their gender identification. They, change, they, they can repeatedly change how they want to identify as a gender, and that can change multiple times during a day for some people, gender fluidity. And then there's just two more terms. One is intersex, and I'm only explaining this because it's used as an argument. Intersex people are born with a characteristic of both biological genders. First of all, so that means that there's an atypical, which is a nice word for sort of abnormal, uh, chromosomes or hormones or genitalia. Something's a little off. It's a variation uh, in sexual development physically, and this represents 0.01% to, to 0.02% of the population. So that's one or two in 10,000. But now here's the truth you don't hear about intersex. 99% of intersex people have absolutely no ambiguity regarding their sexual identity. 99, so that's a very small population, 0.01% to 1 or 2 to 10,000. And of that very small, rare population, 99% of them have absolutely no ambiguity regarding their sexual identity. They see themselves as totally one gender, and they've never had any confusion on that. For example, because we're talking about minute things, for example, some people 
could be intersex and not even know it their entire lives. Sometimes what happens is people in their older years will go in for a medical procedure and through testing for some unrelated medical procedure, whatever that might be, they realize, oh, you actually have this characteristic that's actually classified as intersex. And they would have never known that. And here's a truth you'll never hear. Many, if not most, intersex people are offended that they're the group that's being used as an argument by the trans activists because they don't have an issue with this, with their gender. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that brings us to transgender activists. So, the first thing we need to know is transgender activists are not always transgender people. That makes sense, right? It's sort of a political thing. And transgender people are not always transgender activists. I mean, some are non-political and they just want to be left alone. That makes sense, right? But the truth is transgender activists promote things that are harmful to children. Like, if you want some examples, puberty blockers, Affirmation counseling, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, cross-sex hormones, and transition among kids. They push early transition among children and medically following through with that. Now, of all the terms, this last term to me is the most heartbreaking. It's called gender dysphoria. That used to be a very rare phenomenon, but then in the last 10 years, we're hearing this all the time, and I'm going to explain that. Gender dysphoria is an extremely rare condition that causes huge psychological distress. It affects about 0.1% of the population, 1 in 10,000, and it's almost all males. Mo far majority of those are males. And we've been studying this for 100 years. So for 100 years, Gender dysphoria typically began in early childhood between the ages of two and four and usually involved a boy who insisted and always insisted and never equivocated on that, that he was a girl. So children affected by this, it shows up between two and four years old. They are insistent. They are consistent, they never, they, they change, they're always saying the exact same thing, and they are persistent that they feel like they are in the wrong body, but it shows up two to four years old. And by all accounts, this experience is excruciating. It's, it's a relentless irritant of a body that feels all wrong for them. But now, here's the truth that you, will, you do not hear in our culture today. Check this out. 70% of these children, 70% of children with gender dysphoria naturally outgrow their gender dysphoria at puberty if we just left them alone. Do you hear what I'm saying? One in 10,000 has this condition, and 70% of those who have this condition from childhood they naturally just outgrow it just by going through puberty. Now, 
a lot of these, you know, there's many of these people become homosexual men, gay men, or they become heterosexual men who sometimes like to present themselves as women. But what I'm saying is this irritant, this distress that they're in over being in a male body, that goes away and they're happy with their body. 70% that happens with. Now, here's the problem. Today, we don't leave those children alone. Today, I mean, the moment a child seems to not be perfectly feminine or perfectly masculine, we label them as trans kids. And teachers encourage them to reintroduce themselves with new names and new pronouns. And we take them to therapists and doctors, almost all of whom practice something called affirmative care or affirmative therapy or affirmative counseling, meaning they think their job is to simply affirm a diagnosis of gender dysphoria in almost every circumstance and then begin helping kids to medically transition. I have a master's degree in counseling. I'm telling you, affirmative therapy is harmful. Affirmative therapy is no therapy at all. It's no help at all for people. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, it's a Saturday, two days a week, I go to the rec center across the yard over here. So I go to the rec like I always do. So yesterday morning, I go to the rec. Yesterday morning, I also went to Ideal Bakery. Okay? Funny, I don't need a trainer to teach me how to eat donuts, right? I mean, I can do that. I can do the stuff that's bad for me. Here, here's what's happening in affirmation therapy. A child who's confused goes and talks to a counselor, but the counselor gives them no direction. The counselor just affirms their confusion, labels them as having gender dysphoria, which is way over-labeled. It's a whole different phenomenon that never had any of it as a child. And then they start helping them medically transition. This is terrible. The first step is puberty blockers. Puberty blockers shut down the natural release of hormones in the body for puberty. The most popular puberty blocker in America today is Lupron. Lupron is a drug that was used to chemically castrate sex offenders. The FDA has never approved Lupron to block puberty, but it's used all the time. Now, and here's the question, why? Why stop puberty? in somebody that you think has gender dysphoria. Why would we do that, especially when we know that the far majority, 70% of those children, will outgrow this if we just let them go through puberty? Well, the pushback is affirmative care proponents would say, well, that allowing puberty to occur in this child is dangerous because suicide rates for trans-identified youth and trans 
adults are higher than the rest of the population, which they're exactly right on that. But here's the truth you don't hear. Puberty blockers don't help with suicidality or mental health. Puberty blockers, there's no study showing that puberty blockers allowed people to become less tempted to commit suicide or have a better mental health. That doesn't exist, that research. What you don't hear anymore is that puberty blockers cause gender dysphoria to persist. Why? Because we're not allowing them to go through puberty. The truth you don't hear is no one knows the long-term effects of these puberty blockers because they haven't been in use for very long. But we're going to find out. Puberty blockers, we know now, also prevent some of the development of the brain. Puberty blockers that a lot of people will talk about is that it prevents the development of bone density. And because of that, they'll say that people can, should only take puberty blockers for one to two years. You don't want to take them for very long because of bone density issues. But here's what happens. When a child's healthy puberty is medically prevented, they then become two years out of step with their peers. And then because of that alone, they often move on to cross-sex hormones. Cross-sex hormones, when you administer them to girls, girls become infertile and also have sexual dysfunction because their sexual organs never reached maturity. Here's what I'm saying. These are life-altering decisions that children are making, that trans activists are pushing, children should be allowed to make. And they, m many of these effects cannot be reversed. There's some things that you can reverse, but many of this, what happens, they can't reverse it. Now, many young people, we're just starting to see this, are detransitioning. That means they have gone through transition, decided that was not for them, didn't help them, didn't make them happier, didn't give them more peace, didn't help them in any way. So now they detransition, meaning trying to go back to their original biological sex, but some of the parts of this were irreversible, so they can't completely. And now here's the problem. Why are we even talking about this? Because today there is a huge spike in gender dysphoria. We've been studying this for 100 years, but today there's a huge spike in it. Why? So what's alarmed researchers is prior to 2012, nine years ago, Prior to nine years ago, there was no scientific literature or research or even acknowledgement of gender dysphoria arising in teen girls. Remember, this is something that onsets at childhood, far majority male. It never happened with teen girls before. Today, we have this new phenomenon, and now it's been labeled a new label, which is um, rapid onset gender dysphoria. You see what's happening there? They're taking 
this traumatic event that affects very few people and most people grow out of, but, but it's excruciating. But they're taking this label and they're modifying it to say rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's really serious. And they're giving this label to teenage girls. And it's describing kind of the sudden spike in transgenderism among teen girls with no, hi- no history in their childhood of gender dysphoria. And this spike is seen across the Western world. And, and here's what I mean by spike. There's, in the United Kingdom, there's a decade to decade, so in 10 years, there is a 4,400% increase in the number of girls seeking treatment in the United Kingdom's National Gender Clinic claiming gender dysphoria, a 4,400% increase. This never used to happen. This is what we have now. So what's behind this social phenomenon? As near as researchers can tell, it's the spread of ideas, emotions, and behaviors by peer influence. Uh, We call this social contagion, if you're familiar with that term. Uh, And it's another instance of that where, where teen girls tend to share and spread their pain. And it just so happens that teen girls are more susceptible to this than other people. And we've seen this before, for example, in anorexia and bulimia are kind of similar to that. It's peer pressure, social media, and attention. And then we add to that school environments where uh, status and popularity are gained by declaring yourself a trans. And also social media where trans activists push gender change as a way to cure their problems but it doesn't work. Today, teen girls are in the most, the worst mental health crisis on record ever. And it's this. And the system oftentimes makes it worse. Finally, now we're seeing the beginning of a pushback against gender clinics. And this isn't being led just by Christians, but also by doctors and therapists and scientists. I'll give you an example. And you don't hear these stories in our media, and that's designed that way. You don't hear stories like Kiara Bell. Kiara Bell uh, was a young woman in the United Kingdom who was rushed to transition in her teen years and then came to regret it. It happens all the time. She had underwent a double mastectomy and she spent years on testosterone only to later realize that her problem had never been gender dysphoria, which I don't think any of this late onset is gender dysphoria. So she ends up suing the United Kingdom's National Gender Clinic. And this year, turns out, she won. You know how hard it is to sue the government 
and win, she won because she was maltreated. There's a movement in place for trans activists to be pushing this trans phenomenon onto our children and our teenagers. We've all heard about the pronoun stuff, right? This movement to self-identify your gender pronouns. We've even seen that in the new administration in, in government meetings. I'll, I'll give you an example. So a teacher I know who's getting ready for school this semester was contacted by a student's mother. And the student's mother told him, she said, my daughter now prefers the pronouns they, them. And they, them together, not they or them, but they, them together. So then she went on to explain that they, them needed they, them's cell phone to text because they, them have anxiety. So she's saying, and here's how she's saying it. She's using these words. She, so you need to allow they, them to use they, them cell phone during exams because it relieves they, them's anxiety. Yeah. The, what's happened? It's like it's not even proper English. I, we've lost our mooring. We've lost our anchor. We've lost our common sense. Not only that, women today feel an assault on women's sports because they're competing with biological males. And an assault on their protected places, women's spas, and you know, just all this stuff where you know, you, we would hope that a, a woman could go there or a, a child could go there, a girl could go there and not see male genitalia. But this is all happening in our world today. California is kind of leading the way. In California and the state of Washington, violent biological male inmates have transferred to women's prisons. Well, that may be great for them, but who's that harming? The women who are in those institutions pushing back on this is not, not transphobic bigotry. It's just common sense. But the question is, how do we help people? How do we as a Christian community help people who are struggling with this gender identity, gender confusion? Especially, how do we help children in this area? Well, first of all, it's this. If a child two to four years old actually displays this insistent, consistent, never wavers, I'm in the wrong body, that young, and they're that vocal about it, that could be true gender dysphoria. And then what we need to do is before we start intervening medically, we need to give them some space and some time to go through puberty, which 70% will correct itself. First thing, if it's not that, then it's easier to help young children than it is teenagers, so don't wait. I mean, try to instruct and guide and help people walk through this confusion. The third thing is, as always, we need to befriend and listen to them, listen to their story, because nobody's story is the same. No trans person has the same story as another trans person. Listen to them. 
hear their story, but we love them, but we're also, when our relationship develops, we have to be willing to tell them the truth. Because that's what love is. Jesus is full of grace, meaning love, but also truth, John 1.14. Here's the thing. I know some people, because we have kind of a reach, may, may be sitting in here and you're struggling with this issue, or you're out there uh, tuning in online and you're struggling. You might not even know why you're listening to this, but if you're still here, if you're still with us, here's what I want you to hear. God offers us an identity that will bring you peace. I promise that. God offers, God loves you, and He offers you an identity that will bring you peace. You see, here's the thing. We've all twisted God's plan in our lives. It's just different areas. We've all messed up areas in our life. We've all twisted God's plan. And God still loves us. God created us. God loves us. And He doesn't just love with, with words. He loves with action. He loves with great costs. He sent His only Son to die for us because He values us so much. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's offering all of us a new identity that brings real, lasting transformation. That's what God wants for all of us. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Hey, if you're not happy with your life or with yourself or with your identity, you can experience real transformation through Christ transformation from the inside out. It's not just transformation for part of you and everything else adjusts. Transformation from the inside out that will bring into your life joy, peace, purpose, love, life. That's what God offers. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, your love for us. Lord, no matter what we've done, where we've come from, where we've been, you know, God, you love us, but you don't affirm everything we do, and we're thankful for that because you love us with truth. And you tell us what's best. And God, we thank you for that. And then when we mess it up, you still love us even to the point of dying for our sins. Because we know in your universe, it's a just universe, and that means wrong has to be punished. But we've all done wrong. And so we thank you 
that you allowed your one and only Son to voluntarily give His life up for us. He who is out sin became sin for us to pay our price so that through faith we can have a relationship with you forever, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.